This time on the Camera Journal Podcast, we're talking taxes with Richard Green. He's a former IRS agent, and we're going to talk about um, auditing and taxes and returns and how we might want to change the tax code to get rid of the return and how the IRS might be getting rid of returns themselves and uh, handling taxes in a whole new way. It's a fascinating conversation. He has a very interesting book, and we're excited to talk to him as tax season approaches. So let's jump in. It's the Cameron Journal Podcast. This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. It's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, we are joined by Richard Green. He is an ex-IRS agent who talks about audits and taxes and all this type of thing. And seeing as we are into tax season, I thought it would be good to get him on and talk about the IRS. And we're going to talk about politics and reform and filing taxes and all that sort of thing. So welcome, Richard, Green to the Cameron Journal podcast. Thank you, Cameron. Glad to talk to you. Excellent. Thank you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience and how you ended up working at the IRS and what your activism has been since you left? Well, I asked myself, too, why I ever worked for the IRS. <laughs> That's a reasonable question. Yeah. Uh, I guess I felt like I've always been very patriotic, and I felt like by going to work for such a uh, fundamental part of the government, uh, I was discharging my uh, patriotic duties. So I started in West L.A., and uh, the first uh, year or so uh, was really great. I really enjoyed working for them. Uh, but then little by little, I noticed uh, things that made me uncomfortable until I recognized they were actual abuses uh, that had no place in our democracy. So I started to express some of my concerns. I gave a uh, interview to the LA Times and the upshot was that I was uh, harassed repeatedly and uh, finally was fired. Uh, but I don't need any sympathy because I had a very good lawyer who got me a very generous uh, settlement tax-free. So Since then, I've sort of been on a crusade to tell people what the IRS is like, uh, how to deal with them and protect your rights as much as possible and to offer alternatives. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's let's dive right into um, something that is near and dear to my heart and the heart of many a small business owner. The IRS loves to audit small businesses. Right. That is like their jam. The wealthy can never, can't be bothered. But <laughs> if you own a restaurant or anything like that, they're all over you. Um, why do you think the IRS targets those sorts of people? Well, they're pretty open about it because for the reason you mentioned, uh, small businesses don't really have the resources uh, to fight them. 
I think a few, uh, there was an article on the New York Times uh, a couple months ago uh, that uh, I posted on my Twitter that uh, showed that the wealthy were audited at a much, much lower rate than uh, the non-wealthy, the small businesses, the middle-class and lower-class citizens. So you have a situation where the wealthy not only gets a law being right, the tax laws, uh, but they also get treated much more gently when it's time to audit. It's a very, very uh, unfair system. Yes, I, I read somewhere that there are many wealthy people who do not want to pay taxes but will spend a small fortune on lawyers to avoid paying taxes. Right. In some weird sort of, like, you know, right. way of things that doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> uh, something, else, so something else that isn't quite so apparent uh, is the fact that the IRS has uh, absolute discretion in uh, forbidding you as a lawyer or as a CPA or as a tax rep. They can just uh, unilaterally declare that you cannot represent taxpayers. And so there goes your business. Now you go to the H&R blocks and maybe you pay them a couple hundred dollars to uh, do your taxes and and to uh, represent you if you get audited. Well, H&R Block are not going to risk getting the IRS pissed off and ruining their business model. But if you have your uh, own attorney, you're wealthy enough to actually have your own full-time attorney, uh, the attorney is going to be much more aggressive uh, because you mean a lot more to him as the sole uh, employer than you do to HR Block as one of hundreds of thousands of people. Hmm. I mean that. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense from a numbers perspective, sort of thing. But what are some things that people, small business owners, and others who the IRS likes to go after? What are some things they can actionably do to avoid being audited? What are the common mistakes everyone should be aware of? Okay, well, the most common mistake is being easily intimidated. Uh, during our training session, uh, we spent a considerable amount of time in role-playing uh, how to interview taxpayers. And the whole point was to let them know you're in charge and uh, you have the power of the federal government behind you. Uh, for example, one of the uh, ways we did that was when we set an appointment, uh, it would always be a case of the IRS telling you when your appointment was. Uh, it wasn't like, uh, well, let's try to find a mutually acceptable time, or this, does this time work for you? Uh, there's really no negotiation. The IRS says uh, you will appear in our offices or 
we will come to your office at such and such a time on such and such a date. And so immediately you're establishing control. Uh, you always talk in terms of being an agent of the federal government. It's never a case of, well, I'm Rick Green, and I think what you should do. It was always a case of, well, Congress sets the laws, and here's what they're supposed to do. So you're always to project the fact that you have the weight and the power of the full federal government behind you. And obviously for most average people, that's a pretty scary process. Oh, and that's why the intimidation works. It is, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, you just get a letter from the IRS and once you see the return address, uh, you flip out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's quite 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 frightening. So yeah, so then now that when in terms of like, so let's say you know you have not necessarily been able to you know avoid not whatever have you, you've now gotten that letter. What are the first things people should do if the IRS is taking a special interest in them? Well, of course, you want to be sure and keep the damn appointment. Right. Um. But when you go into an audit, you have to be realistic. Yes, it's very serious. And uh, the tax uh, laws are written such, and the IRS interprets them such, that it's pretty much whatever the IRS says, whether it's uh, right or wrong. And so uh, you're never going to win an argument with an IRS agent. Uh, the thing to do is to let them know that you're a good citizen and you know you have to pay taxes. Uh, you're not one of these damn tax protesters. Uh, and you've filed your taxes uh, honestly and correctly. Now, there's a very, very powerful weapon that taxpayers have that most people aren't aware of. And that's the fact that uh, the IRS is highly motivated to sell your case and get it closed. And so, uh, you know, there's only, I'm guessing, maybe 50,000 agents to uh, police 100 million taxpayers. So they can't throw everybody into jail and uh, they can't spend a whole lot of time with everybody. So the pressure is on the IRS to get cases closed. Now, ordinarily, the way to do that is to so thoroughly intimidate the taxpayer that he signs whatever you say and he doesn't argue about it. But you don't necessarily need to do that. Um, there's a tremendous degree of negotiation that's uh, possible. Negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. So when the uh, agent gives you the revenue agent report to sign, which shows your deficiency, in a very nice, polite way, you tell them, no, you really can't sign that. Uh, 
you know, you think you probably should go to appeals to get appeals to decide it. Now, the IRS has a special branch called the uh, appeals branch, and it's not a separate court. You don't have to hire a lawyer. Uh, it's just uh, a, a supervisor higher up the food chain. And so agents don't like uh, for you to appeal because it makes more work for them. And if you're proven to be right, it makes them look bad. Now, typically, appeals uh, agrees with the taxpayer about 50% of the time. So if you think the, uh, if you think the uh, agent is being unfair, well, you have a 50% chance of getting it reversed. And once the agent is aware that you know you're right and you're not intimidated, you're respectful, you're law-abiding, but you sure as hell aren't going to be intimidated, uh, he'll become very kittenish and really try to, uh, really try to negotiate with you. And uh, that's what uh, tax attorneys do. Uh, if you can afford one, is that they will never agree with the IRS. They'll, they'll whittle it down and negotiate and threaten to go to appeals or even go to the tax court. And so I guess what I'm saying is, like in anything else, it's very important that you know your rights. You don't be intimidated, but you are respectful. Hmm, that makes sense. Now, <clears throat> um, there's a lot of people who are saying that we should abolish the IRS because it is horrifically unaccountable and the IRS's rather authoritarian tactics are well known. Uh -huh. Why, I, I guess, what view do you take of this idea that we need to abolish the IRS and what should replace Oh, I'm that? very much in favor of it because I've seen the abuses. I don't think we'll ever be truly free uh, with a massive, powerful bureaucracy like the IRS. We're always going to be living our life in fear of them. So the solution is that we establish a national sales tax or a value-added tax, which is a form of sales tax. And what that means is that you pay your taxes when you buy something. Uh, you don't wait for uh, three or four years and bingo, you find out you should have, you should have paid $10,000. Uh, when you go and buy uh, a suit of clothes for uh, 500 bucks, uh, you pay 30 or 40 dollars tax, and that's the end of the transaction. Uh, they're not going to come back and say, Well, you know, we uh, miscalculated the sales tax wrong, so you actually owe us uh, another 60 bucks. And a right. lot of leading economists. Uh, believe in this approach uh, because not only does it get rid of a uh, massive expensive bureaucracy uh, but it has tremendous uh, economic benefits uh, for one thing 
It doesn't tax income, so you're motivated to work. Uh, if you're having to pay 30% of your salary uh, to the federal government, uh, you're probably a little bit more inclined to call in sick or take longer vacation or something like that. But if uh, you're taxed on what you spend, you have every incentive in the world to work uh, with a uh, offsetting uh, emphasis on being thrifty. In other words, if, uh, if it costs you two or three hundred dollars plus sixty dollars for a new suit, that raises the price. So you might not, you know, tend to go out and buy the suit right away. Now, every economy, they have to solve that uh, equation. And the equation is simple. You want to encourage work, you want to encourage investment, and you want to encourage saving. You encourage saving by inducing people to spend less. And so you would get all the benefit, you get just as much benefit from the sales tax as you do from the IRS tax. Uh, plus, it's been estimated that every year, uh, saving on the tax preparation uh, industry, on the cost of the bureaucracy, that would save something close to $500 billion a year if we didn't have to have tax lawyers or tax bureaucrats. No, that, that, makes, that makes sense. It would certainly be a, a, huge, a huge cost cost savings. And I think the I, I'm a big fan of the national sales tax, mostly because if you have national sales tax and value added taxes, it means you're getting money out of companies. They can't hide it overseas because right. when they buy something, they're paying. Well, yeah, and you're I'm very focused on making sure. They yeah, you're, you have a more sophisticated understanding of it than most people, because that's actually it's actually called uh, it's self auditing. Uh, the government can see what you're doing as a uh, merchant, and they don't have to go on and snoop around your business. No, of course that that absolutely that absolutely makes sense. Now, I, I'm a big fan of the national sales tax, but there are some people who point out two problems. Um, one, sales taxes tend to be regressive on the poor who spend the most, and two, our economy is based on consumption. And if we're going to use taxes to reduce consumption, that might cause an economic hurt. Um, why might that or might that not be the case? Okay, that yeah, that's understandable. That is a common misconception. Uh, our eco and you're right. Our economy is based on uh, consumption. As a matter, the most successful economies are based on investment. If you have more... Uh, money available for investment, uh, then you can uh, increase production, you can increase jobs, you can increase goods, and so that lowers the cost ultimately. So whatever you buy will be cheaper. Uh, the whole point is 
America has one of the highest rates of consumption in the world. Uh, you, like a, you look at economies like uh, Japan, uh, China, which are really uh, strong, and uh, they are investing much more of their national income uh, than we are. Uh, we're consuming our income. We're not investing our income. Uh, the uh, point that you're raising about it's regressive, uh, that is debatable, but it's a very valid point. And uh, that's essentially a political question because you have to say, well, how much help do the uh, lower income groups need? How much should we help them? So you can't get an easy economic answer to that. It's a question of equity, what's fair? And so if we honestly feel that the uh, poor or even the lower income, they, they need more help uh, because they're being hit too much with the sales tax, we can always make simple transfer payments to them, uh, give them an extra $600 uh, a year or 2000 a year like we're doing with uh, COVID relief. And the importance of that is we see up front everything's above board and we're seeing how much our uh, politics is costing us. If we're uh, helping the poor, we at least ought to know whether it's costing us $10 billion a year or $100 billion or whatever. If we think it's too much, well, then the voters, of whom the poor are also voters, uh, they can change that. If they don't think it's enough, obviously they can vote that way to make it more. No, that definitely... That definitely makes sense. Now, another thing that you've talked about before is the potential elimination of tax returns. Now, countries like Sweden, they do not have a tax return system. They just send you a notification of how much you're due, and and it goes from there. And they, So there's no H&R block, no TurboTax, nothing like that. Um and there are some people that say, oh, this is a much better system. And there are other people that say, mm, no, quite so much. What's your position on getting rid of the tax return system? Well, I'm full disclosure, uh, I think it's a great Eliminating idea. the tax return uh, as well as the IRS. But to uh, address your question, which is valid, is that uh, I'm not that familiar with uh, the Swedish approach. Uh, you probably are. But I think it's pretty likely that Big Brother is watching every transaction you make. And I'm quite a, a privacy uh, zealot. That's one reason why I'm against the IRS. And so I wouldn't like the idea where everything you do is being reported to the government, even if it would be more convenient. Uh, that's the thing about a uh, national sales tax the only thing the government loans, the only thing that the government knows is that uh, the merchant collected uh, $5 from a customer. Uh, the government doesn't know whether it was Cameron Cowling that was 
buying it or whether it was Rick Green. So something like the uh, Swiss uh, system, I would have reservations. Now, the IRS for years has been pushing for what they call the returnless society. And that was that is the way it would work, is the IRS in real time would be aware of all of your financial transactions, every single one of them. Uh, they would know what you did, when you did it, how you did it. And then, yeah, it's true, you wouldn't have to file a return. They just send you a bill. Well, the IRS does make mistakes very often. So you can imagine uh, what a hassle it would be if they made a mistake on the information they collected or if they got you mixed up with another uh, taxpayer. And if you'd have to straighten out that baby. And that could be quite complicated, yeah. trying to get a hold of someone and getting it undone. Exactly. You know, yeah. It, it, that, that process almost makes filing a tax return seem easier. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you think the IRS has been trying to get rid of the tax return system and go to a returnless society? Oh, because it's much more efficient. Uh, they could sit at their uh, desk and uh, with just a mouse click, they can see how much you owe. And with another mouse click, uh, they would send you a, uh, a uh, tax bill. Uh, they wouldn't have to audit because everything would be there on the computer. Yes. And, and I, I imagine, at least based on the reporting I've read, industry primarily trying to stop that is the tax preparation industry. For obvious reasons, they would go out of business. Well, yeah. Uh, you're probably not old enough to remember, but I am. Uh, back in the 1980s, uh, President Reagan made a, a big push to reform the tax laws, to simplify them. Yes. And uh, it was bipartisan. Uh, everybody agreed. The government uh, the Democrats, the Republicans, uh, liberals and conservatives, and uh, the tax reform bill eventually uh, passed with huge majorities from both parties. The only person I ever heard or read about that objected to that simplification was H&R Block. And they had a very expensive adding, uh, advertising campaign on television and newspapers. Tax reform is a bad idea because it's not fair or something like that. So that really opened my eyes is the tax lobby uh, really uh, is motivated to keep things as they are, even if it's not uh, the best for the country or the best for citizens. Yes. And that, I mean, like I said, that makes sense for them because they would be out of business, but conversely, it would be much more efficient. Right. Um, but, but that, but that, but then you run into the, the data privacy issue as well. Now the government is in everybody's business more so than they already are. 
So it's, you know, on the one hand, it's like, oh, we want to get rid of these tax preparation. It's inefficient. But on the other hand, it's like, hmm, we can't. <laughs> the trade off is that we then have the IRS in our business all the time. Well, they are in your business all the time, no matter what you do. Um, the tax, the tax preparation uh, industry, uh, they do fulfill a need uh, at this time uh, because most people uh, aren't capable of doing their own returns. Although my uh, uh, book, Agents of Deceit, it's on uh, Amazon. Uh, it, gives, it gives tips for simplifying the process. Uh, but for for the present structure, yeah, we need we need the tax preparation systems. But I'm looking forward to the system when we did when we don't need tax representatives and we don't need the IRS. Yes, and it was one of the things that I was reading about you. Um, you, one of the things that you have said elsewhere is that the IRS has flunked every audit by other federal agencies. Maybe talk us through why the, the, the tax agency can't manage to get its act together for an audit. Well, their explanation, and you hear it all the time, is that Congress won't give them the money to do the job. Uh, believe it or not, uh, in my book, I actually used a uh, report from the uh, Treasury Department's uh, Inspector General about the state of uh, IRS uh, information technology. Believe it or not, they're using technology that's 50 to 60 years old. Uh, what are they doing, ENIAC? I mean... <laughs> The personal computer's only been around 30 years, so, I mean, are, are they there with, like, adding machines and tape? Like, what? Well, How is this you're, you're being facetious, but that's true. Uh, do you rem ever remember using uh, floppy disks? Have you ever used one? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. You're older I'm, I'm, I'm 32, so I'm old enough to remember a floppy disk. Yeah. Yes. The IRS is still using floppy disks. They play a major role. That's frightening. It's 2021. We've moved, the world has moved on many times. Right. Uh, most of their uh, uh, information technology specialists. Uh, they're only skilled in things like COBOL programming, which went out of fashion probably 30 years ago. Uh, the IRS just doesn't like to change things. And the problem is it's not that it just uh, creates a huge uh, dysfunction, but the uh, inspector general also uh issued another report, uh, which is also in my book, about how uh, security uh, is so non-existent in the IRS. Anything you file with the IRS, there's a good chance it's circulating on the dark web. And it's one of the biggest sources uh, of identity theft.
or tax returns, the IRS just doesn't have much of a capability for uh, security. That sounds like we need an IRS modernization act. Well, what? get them some new laptops and hard drives. And- <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what the IRS would say. Well, just give us a few hundred billion more so we can do our job. Uh, but I, I'd be willing to guarantee that if we give them a few hundred billion, they'd still have the problems. They would, they would probably take tech, they'd probably upgrade from 60 year old technology to uh 30 year old technology. <laughs> That's truly horrifying. Mm-hmm. That is, that is truly horrifying. So, with you know, the IRS in the pandemic has served the role of having to take in taxes, you know, twice now during the pandemic, once in 2020 and now here in 2021, and then also manage paying out stimulus payments to people that Congress has has directed. Um, and and they, they've done so they've they've done so fairly efficiently. So it seems to me they they know how to use modern technology. They're just like willfully choosing not to. Is that your sense? Yeah, of that, it, that's or? my sense uh, precisely. Uh, unless you've been inside the belly of the beast, you don't understand how conservative and how much they don't rock the boat. You know, with their sixty-year-old technology, uh, they're at least uh, cranking out uh, audits. And they don't want to take the risk that if they upgraded, if they had the money, and if they upgraded, uh, there's a chance they wouldn't upgrade properly or all sorts of bad things were happening. They just don't want to risk it. They don't want to risk modernization. They're comfortable with the way things are. I, I get that. But at the same time, though, eventually you're not going to be able to buy floppy disks. They're not going to make them anymore. <laughs> then what are they going to do? I don't know. I mean, this stuff will eventually wear out someday. Yeah. Oh, they'll probably have to start buying stuff on eBay. <laughs> Indeed, yes. The, the call will go out. Send it. Clean out your closet. Send us your old floppy disks. Right. The government needs If you them. don't send us your floppy disks, you're going to get audited. <laughs> yes. That will be. Ex- I, I can definitely see that being, be, be that see that being a thing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your book, Agents of Deceit? Um, when did you start writing it? What's it mostly about? Well, I uh, I started writing it uh, the day after I left the IRS, which was quite a while ago. Uh, yes, but it's on Amazon now, and. Yeah. Uh, it gives you a look at the inner workings of the IRS, uh, so you can be effective in dealing with them. Uh, I've tried to make the political case for eliminating them, and so my last chapter discusses uh, a national sales tax or a, uh, a VAT tax and chap- the Last chapter is called Disallow the IRS. Mm. And 
I, I walk you through an audit so you know what happens. Uh, to, be forearmed, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And so I wrote the book uh, for two purposes. One was to expose the IRS, but the other one was to say, in effect, look, if you use a little bit of common sense, if you uh, know how to negotiate, if you know how the system works, you don't really need to be scared. Uh, you can take all the tax breaks uh, that you're entitled to without being afraid that if you take uh, one tax break, you might get an audit. I guess what I'm trying to do is try to convince people don't be scared of audits because panic causes you to be irrational. Treat them with respect. Uh, be serious about it. Always be polite to the goons. Uh, but be, uh, be aware of what your rights are and how to handle them. Absolutely. Now, for the regular taxpayer, do you advocate an online program like TurboTax or going into someplace like H&R Block? Which do you think is better? Well, as I as you always have to say, it depends. Uh, I've filed my own returns. Oh, I don't think I've ever even hired a preparer to do it. I've always filed my own returns, uh, and uh, TurboTax. Uh, to putting a plug for TurboTax, uh, they actually uh, filed uh, freedom of information demands from the IRS to uh, determine uh, what returns are selected for audit. Uh, the IRS actually assigns a score to your return when they receive it to see if it's high enough to be audited. And so TurboTax will actually let you know uh, what your... Uh, risk of being audited is, and whether your deductions or whatever you're claiming, whether they're out of the norm, uh, if they're out of the norm, then you can decide whether it's going to be worth the hassle uh, or whether to just kiss it goodbye. Uh, I'm, an advocate, I'm an advocate for taking everything you're entitled to. I don't believe in cheating. I don't believe in tax evasion. Uh, I don't even protest taxes because uh, we do need some kind of a tax, a sales tax, in my opinion. Um, so I, I'm, I believe in self-help. The more you understand about a process, uh, the more effective you can be. Uh, certainly, yes. certainly, if you... Uh, the IRS uh, just opened its uh, Freedom to File website, and uh, you can go there and you can select an online, a free online uh, tax preparation program. And so that would probably be the best approach for everybody. Uh, I'm certainly not... Uh, of the opinion that you should go out and spend 
50 bucks or 100 bucks for TurboTax, uh, although that uh, the risk feature might be worth something uh, to see how likely you are uh, to be audited. Uh, yes. The, the uh, advantage of doing it yourself, you know exactly what you went through, what you did. So if you are audited, uh, you can discuss it uh, intelligently and show them where they're wrong. No, that that makes sense. I was very lucky um, when I first when I started my first business and incorporated and had to do LLC small business taxes for the first time. The man I was renting from at the time was a tax attorney who was doing the stay-at-home dad thing. Yeah. And he actually taught me how to do it all. Oh, really? And, yes. And that was about three or four years. I did it myself by hand. Uh-huh. I didn't really have a, a lot of money for TurboTax and certainly not for a prepare. And I wasn't getting anything I had to pay, you know. So I, I would just sit down and, and run the numbers and do it myself. And, and then I got tired of that and I, I, I pitched for TurboTax. But... It's I I just think it, it's it's an odd I think it's an odd anomaly of how complicated our tax system is. It seems like it's complicated on purpose so no one person can really ever understand it. Well, I don't know who to point the finger at. I definitely point my finger at the IRS for uh, how they uh, uh, abuse their power, but uh, the uh, Tax law is essentially written by the lobbies. Uh, every industry is looking for a tax break. Uh, right. For example, uh, do you know what depreciation is? I do because I used to work in real estate. Oh. And for people that own property for long periods of time, depreciation is everything. But go ahead and explain it to the listener because okay. they don't know. Uh, well, depreciation is what you were doing. Uh you're showing you're having to you get to write off the cost of your investment over uh, a particular period of time so uh i was never in real estate i don't know now what it is for real estate uh but say for say for a, a store that you paid that you own free and clear uh you can write off as a business expense uh the total cost of construction over 20 years or 30 years, whatever it happens to be. Well, depression rates are different for different industries. Uh, the amount of depreciation, uh, the years, uh, they're different for different, they're different for different uh, industries. And the reason for that is all the lobbyists were trying to get the most uh, generous depreciation schedule for their members. Uh, yes. Well, and rental housing is one such industry. So like in rental housing, you can run depreciation schedules for your carpet, your appliances, your plumbing fixtures. If, if you can hire someone to get that detailed, you can actually depreciate that stuff over time and there's schedules for all of that for how long you can yeah. do that sort of thing. Yeah. Major corporations will oftentimes tear down a facility and build something new because the depreciation on the building has run out, yeah. the tax bill is higher, and so it's it's cheaper 
to tear it down, chuck it, and build something new so that then they can start the depreciation all over again. You've raised a a very important point, uh, Cameron, is that the current tax system uh, encourages people to make decisions uh, to uh, get the tax breaks uh, rather than making a decision strictly on the investment on the uh, basis of uh, whether the investment is profitable. You know, it might be from a business standpoint, uh, it might be better to keep that old building for another 30 years without buying a new one. Right. But uh, that's not what you're going by. You're going by, as you said, well, I'll tear it down even though it's good for another 20 years. I'll tear it down because I've used up all the uh, uh, depreciation on it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's absolutely in, insane. And that's, you know, something in in rental housing, if you build it new and that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's rather than just keeping the building around and owning it free and clear and collecting your rent and all that type of thing. There are oftentimes people who will do things, either make improvements or sometimes put all their tenants out, tear the whole thing down and start over just to start a whole depreciation schedule over again. Yeah. And it's in, it's insane. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah, that shouldn't be why somebody makes a decision to uh, uh, demolish a building and build a new one. The only thing you should be able to consider is how does it affect my profitability? Yeah, and let's face it, if you didn't have this tax thing, the 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 economics of a bought and paid for a building or whatever have you can't be beat. Yeah. And that's that's even true for major things like airliners. One of the reasons why Delta does so well is because they own their airplanes. Yeah. And the economics of a paid for airplane are fantastic. Yeah. They own it. They do their own maintenance. That's expenses. But the reality is their tickets are cheaper and they do more business because they own their planes. Well, it could be. And I have no no proof for it. It could be that if they were making their decisions uh, on planes, uh, depending strictly on how profitable they would be, instead of trying to consider uh, what the tax breaks are, uh, they would be able to uh, charge a little bit less for tickets if they were making their decisions strictly on the basis of profit. And then we would just have a VAT on airline tickets. Yes. Uh huh. Exactly. That makes, that makes total sense. Well, Richard, this has been a fascinating conversation. It's time for us to end. So uh, now's a great time to mention your website and Twitter and where people can visit you online. Okay. Well, it was great talking to you, uh, Cameron. You seem to be more knowledgeable about taxes than most people. (laughs) (laughs) I, I try being a business owner. I kind of have to, I'm a small business owner. I live in fear of being audited. So I, I, you know, I believe in empowering yourself. So, you know, well, the name yeah. of my book is uh, Agents of Deceit, the true story of life inside today's chaotic and dysfunctional IRS. Uh, it's available on the webs on uh, Amazon under my name, Richard Green. Yep. And uh, I have a Twitter uh that I'm pretty active in, uh, 
I post practically every day uh, blessing the IRS. And I always, I always research whatever I'm saying. I just don't, I don't just say, get rid of the IRS. Uh, if the New York Times says that, then I'll post their article and uh, comment on it. And uh, the uh, Twitter account is IRS Whistle. Uh, my website is www.agentsofdc.com. Excellent, excellent. Well, don't worry, dear listener. I'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the Cameron Journal podcast, Richard. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, thanks, Cameron. I really enjoyed it. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.